in talking about planning for retirement, let's say that you have been very smart about what you're spending and you have the excess ability to start saving. You know, what does retirement look like? I would I would ask everyone listening to this podcast message, have you thought about when you're going to retire? And, you know, at what age is that going to happen? How long are you going to live? Will you want to travel? What legacy do you want to leave for your kids? Are you planning on trying to leave at least a dollar for them? What if a major health care event or recession hits between now and then? Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is sponsored by Thrive Affordable Vet Care. Looking for a thriving career? Make the change and find your why at Thrive. Now hiring clinical staff. Visit thrivevet.com careers today. Thank you all for joining us today. We are super excited to have an amazing guest and a personal friend of mine, David Willett, who is a financial planner. David, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. We are so uh, thrilled to death to chat with you today about all things finances. I'm pumped. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. So we have this little thing about how bios can be um, boring when they're read. So instead, why don't you tell me about yourself and how you got to be where you are today? Um, through a series of mishaps, uh, probably is the best way to describe it. But uh, so I am uh, born and raised in Southern California, Orange County. I haven't ventured far uh, at all. Um, I probably live. And by the way, who would want to? Because California is amazing. I'm not too. Other than the median home price now being almost a million dollars, there's not too right. much reason to there's leave. There's that. Yeah. Uh, Crazy, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, born and raised here, uh, went to Orange Lutheran High School, not that that many people on here are going to know that, but I went to Cal State Fullerton, got my uh, bachelor's in business, specifically finance and marketing, and while I was in college, I worked for a restaurant uh, company that uh, was up and company, they're a national chain now, they're very small then, and and, uh, always thought I wanted to be a financial planner coming out of college, I took a five-year detour working for that company, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I think I opened about 17 restaurants over the course of three years. I don't recommend that. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I, never I don't that. recommend that. It is... Uh, oh, That's intense. Oh, it's 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 12 to 15 hour days when you're, when you're go time right before and right after. So I don't recommend anybody Ooh. ever do that. Uh, so, you know, various things happened with that company and it just didn't work out. And I, and I always thought I'd go to become a financial planner. So in 2004, that's what I did. I went to work for a firm and, and uh, been there basically my entire career. Personal life, uh, married a wonderful, wonderful lady that puts up with me uh, back in Shout 2009. Shout out to Miss Carolyn. Yes, Love yes, her. yes. She, uh, she's pretty wonderful. Beautiful lady. And I have a 10-year-old girl and a seven-and-a-half-year-old girl both playing soccer and softball and this spring we stupidly signed up for both so we went through a a course where we're just finishing now where we had eight practices over the course of Monday through Thursday between the two of them and we could have up to five games on Saturdays so um, we just like punishment love coaching I've been helping out uh, with my uh, our church and school Uh, been on our school board for about five years Uh, it's my second year being in charge of the school board. Uh, it's a great opportunity to serve. You know, past that, I used to be a golfer, but I'm horrible now, so I can't say I even try. <laughs> uh, but I am an Angels fan and diehard Mark, Mike Trout fan. It's pretty cool. 
Uh, we got the best player in baseball, so I love that. Um, right. Yeah. But past that, it's about it. You know, I, my my focus at this point in my career is is typically pre-retirees and retirees, uh, but all walks of life, I'm happy to help. Uh, and I have a lot of business owners that uh, we'll probably talk about today because some of them are veterinarian practice owners. Yes, they are. And I, I just have a quick question to that because you said you always thought you'd be a financial planner. Like, what's up with that? You Is that something like you decided at you know age of five years old, <laughs> one day when I grew up, I'm gonna manage other people's money? Like, how did that come about? That's funny, um, I'm a math nerd. So um, I always liked that stuff. And then from a young age, probably in fifth or sixth grade, when when uh, my teacher, we did a, a stock market simulation in class. And uh, I just I just got really excited about how much money you could make in the stock market. So I started following stuff. And in college, my senior year, as part of my finance core, I actually had an elective where it was a financial planning course. And the teacher was an actual financial planner in Fullerton. His name's Don Crane. Not that he would be listening. Maybe he maybe he will be listening to this. <laughs> maybe he will be, uh, right? You don't know. But Very we cool. actually, as a part of that curriculum and that course, we actually had to do a financial plan. And I loved it. And I was planning on trying to pursue that career. But as I was finishing college, the restaurant I worked at, and I'll just say it, uh, it the, the company is BJ's Restaurant. So they're, they're national now. Oh, and, yeah. Wow. And, and, big time company. And I was at the only big one that they had at that time. And the owners asked me, to stay on and be a part of the corporate plan and I was all they could afford at that time so they said hey just throw the kid at the wall and see if he sticks so that's kind of what happened there but over time it was just too much of a grind and and upward mobility ceased at some point so I thought it's time I'm young I don't I'm not married I have kids I'm gonna go try this right very cool cool yep I'd love to hear, David, about a, um, you mentioned college and learning how to do financial planning and making one yourself. Do you have a favorite like book or class or I don't know, maybe even podcast CE, something that you said, this was huge in my life. This shaped me to be a financial planner or who I am today or something that really left a lasting imprint on you? Yeah. I, you know, I can answer that in two ways, I think. Um, the first would be a a very important book that's like 25 years old at this point. It's called The Millionaire Next Door. Just talks about how so many millionaires next door exist and you wouldn't even know it because they don't live a lavish lifestyle. They they save more than they spend. They put away up to like 20% of their pre-tax income and things like that. So that was a, a really good book. Another silly one was uh, Look Before You Lease, like lease a car. And that was a good financial <laughs> coaching one that I read it's that's one interesting yeah but you know I I would say in today I've been a a Dave Ramsey uh, certified financial planner we call we call them smart investor pros the Dave Ramsey core seven baby steps words to live by there's gray area but I'll just say them because people you know are if they're tuning to this podcast uh, they're they're thinking finance stuff and money so yes yeah so the seven baby steps are really important and they're so simple and they're they're broad and ambiguous on purpose but they're very valuable so they are number one get a thousand dollars in the bank number two it jumps really fast uh, pay off all of your unsecured debt so start with your credit cards get those done get rid of your car loans ideally student loans you know the only one to really have because it's such a low rate and there's tax advantages uh, is to have your home loan and then number three work your tail off till you get to the point where you have at first three months of expenses saved at the bank and then six months of expenses saved at the bank and once you get there then we start doing the positive things and that's number four start saving the pre-tax or Roth IRA uh, retirement accounts to the point where you're saving up to 15% of your pre-tax income then when you're doing that work on saving for college for the kids number six is pay off your house number seven is live generously that is something I talk about with all of my existing clients new prospective clients and we focus from planning standpoint where you are on these baby steps now they don't all work perfectly and for some people they are working on multiple steps at the same time and that's fine because there's lots of loopholes in there that core group of seven steps if you can follow that just from a 30,000 foot view you're gonna have success in your financial life and your personal life too because it's gonna make you happier it's gonna be less complicated for you right yeah and I have to tell you David I will um, let 
all of our listeners know that David Willett is my personal financial planner. My husband and I has been for years, and I absolutely love his seven steps. It's been something my husband and I have been able to not only implement in our personal lives, um, but share with friends. And a lot of my friends I have given over to Dave as well. Um, those seven steps, Dave, I cannot tell you how important they have been to my husband and I in our personal financial life. And I share them with the practice owners that I work with. They have been life-saving to us and something that we can always go back to, especially when there's you know differences in, in a financial plan, either whether it be in a business or in your marriage or your personal life. You can always go back and say, does this align with our, our seven steps? And, and so, Dave, I can't tell you how much. Like, thank you so much for sharing those. They are absolutely wonderful words of wisdom and and guidance for people that are just trying to you know not live paycheck to paycheck yeah I, well you're you're too kind and, and it's been a joy to help you and your wonderful husband and i say that not jokingly at all he's a great guy uh, <laughs> thank you yes but you know the, the thing about the seven baby steps to remember is that many people quit at step two because it's hard it's hard oh, oh yes it is it's hard to, it's hard to pay off <laughs> right. your debt and the thing is yeah. If you look at your monthly spending and you're negative, you got two options if you want to get positive. You got to make more money or spend less, and that's hard because yeah, most right, people if you right, got a right. fixed income on what you make, you're not making more, and right. spending less takes discipline. Yeah, absolutely. You sacrifice yep. something, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a financial planner, David. Why is financial planning so important? Why why do we have to plan? Isn't money just growing on trees? Well, um, can I have that treat? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too political, but lately it seems to be growing on trees um, in terms of uh, you know our national economy and, and help, which has helped a lot of people actually. But I do a class for my church with newlywed couples, and one of the slides that we do is what goals do you have? And we go through this slide about all these goals that you have over the course of your life, and then at, after that, the next slide is what do they all have in common? And inevitably someone gets it almost all of your goals revolve around money and we have some personal goals that are you know personal growth and you know spiritual growth physical health stuff like that but most people when we sit down with them we talk to them about what are your goals for the future typically it involves going places acquiring things paying off debt being able to retire at a certain time giving to their kids providing a legacy all of those things like that so almost everything that people have in their life that it is a goal for the future or things they're doing now it involves with the ability to pay for it right so when we do a for instance we do a financial plan for somebody that is you know in their early 50s to anywhere later in life they want to know when they can retire and when I do finally retire do I have enough saved or will I have enough saved so that I don't run out of money and I don't have to go back to work again and financial plan if you ask 100 financial planners what they do you'll get 100 different answers because my my right. job and what I do yeah. it can be so many different things but basically it is a matter of taking stock of what their current financial house looks like that means looking at current budget what their assets and liabilities are what their taxes look like protection planning and do they have a living trust and once we can assess that stuff then we can kind of talk about okay now that we know what you have what you earn what you got going on what your goals are the future for the future Here's where I see the need to make changes now. And here is the end result of the actions that you're currently taking in terms of saving and how you're invested. And we also poke holes in their plan to figure out, hey, these are the things you absolutely need to do that are currently not being thought about for your financial plan. You know, there's plenty of people out there that do this stuff on your own, but the majority of people we meet with, this kind of stuff is Chinese. And what I mean is just it's a different right, language totally altogether. Language. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And and you know a lot of what what I do as well is is counseling. You know, just reassurance. You are on the right path. Or if I'm going to make this life decision, you know, am I going to be okay? And analyzing for people, especially in the last five years, we're thinking about retiring and moving out of California. Let's take a look yeah. and see what that looks like. And we'll do that. We'll we'll update their plan and take care of that. And I think a role that you've played with Andrew and I, which has been super important, is encouragement. Right. Like you know it's hard to get past step one to step two and step two to step three and you know on up that ladder and so i think just encouragement i mean i remember the first time we wanted to buy a car and we were like david is this okay is <laughs> <a car?"> sure <laughs> you know and it's just that that thought of like 
this is okay. And you like gave us permission. And then when we, you know, struggled or whatever, it was that encouragement of being able to say like, you can do it. Don't forget this is your future that you're trying to, you know, the goal down here, the island over there, the so off in the distance, you're working towards that. And I think the encouragement is a role that we didn't expect you to play in that. It was like, here's our money. You know, how do we make more of it? And, you know, guiding, we just expected like advice and wisdom, if you will, and not necessarily that encouragement. So I think oh. you're right when you pay counselor in that, you, you know, there's other, there's other roles as a financial planner. Like you said, ask a hundred different people, you get a hundred different answers. But for you, the role you play is not only, you know, the words of wisdom from financial standpoint, but the counseling and the encouragement to, to get there and how to do it and, and understanding the struggle that comes with it. So, yeah, I, I could see that. Well, I mean, th- thanks again. I mean, you're you're far too kind, but I appreciate you saying that. A couple hours ago, I had a, a perspective meeting with uh, a new referral husband and wife, uh, close to retirement, just received a big inheritance uh, generationally coming to them. And, you know, they were talking to me about things they had, you know, planned to spend and, and almost asking like for Andrea, like you said, that permission. And one thing I tell everyone I work with is that there's no money for me in scolding people for spending and being the budget police. Oh, right. <laughs> um, right. The, the, the money for me is in managing assets, but most importantly, in my relationships with clients, all I'll ever do is when you ask, tell you the implications of spending down money you have. I, I work on the positive side of things, not the negative. I think people need to have positive affirmation. And there are some times when I do a financial plan and it'll show their money running out and it's it's I'm the bearer of bad news. The first time I ever showed a client that their money would run out based upon what they're spending, uh, the wife smacked the husband and said, "See, I told you we've been needing to do this forever." Okay, now, <laughs> now very let's, cute. Let's talk about what we have to change, right? So, it's it's so many different things. The counseling side of it's crazy because you know I've been through 17 years. I've been through couples who've been through divorce. Um, I've been through all sorts of major life decisions, and it's very flattering when when people think to call me up and want to involve me in things like this and ask my opinion. I've actually, for one couple, sat down and told the daughter the implications of what her decision would be if she chooses which college in an effort to kind of talk her out of one and go to the other, but just laying it on the line. So it, it never, it ceases to amaze me what kind of decisions I'm a part of, you know? Right, right. Right. So you're talking about retirement, and I will tell you when our listeners, which is primarily going to be practice managers of some way, shape, or form, our salaries, they're not very large. Let's just say that. We're in it for the, you know, pets, not the not the money. And so <laughs> when you're talking about an average practice manager salary of fifty dollars to $60,000 a year, how can we even begin to say we need to plan for retirement on salaries that are, I mean, we're not talking about high dollar salaries here like how can we translate our little tiny itty bitty handfuls of what we get how can we how should we plan for retirement on having a smaller salary because like you said right you either have to increase your your what you're getting or decrease your expenses so how do we make our money work best for us when we don't have a lot of it well Assuming that it's a two-income household, that that's a, a different factor. But sure, let's, as, right. let's assume that you're a one-income household and um, you're just on your salary. The first part of it is you have to be diligent and vigilant with what flows out of your bank account every month. And you know, with planning, I talk about you know the global and local discussions. And here's what I mean: the thirty-thousand-foot view and the from the ground on on the you know battlefield view. So looking at things from the big picture, of course, yes, we want to save more. We want to get stuff in or get monies into our 401k and take advantage of the employer match. And we want to do all the right planning things. But you can't do that if you're running break even or negative on a monthly basis. So you need right. to be very, very aware of what's flowing out on a monthly basis. Look to trim expenses where you can if you're on a limited budget for that purpose. A great example that I use when it comes to looking at you know projecting money for the future. In talking about planning for retirement, let's say that you have been very smart about what you're spending and you have the excess ability to start saving. You know what does retirement look like? I would I would ask everyone listening to this podcast message: Have you thought about when you're going to retire? 
and you know at what age is that going to happen how long are you going to live will you want to travel what legacy do you want to leave for your kids are you planning on trying to leave at least a dollar for them what if a major health care event or recession hits between now and then and once you kind of evaluate those things that'll circle back for you to are you putting into your work sponsored plan or if your veterinarian practice doesn't have one are you putting into a Roth IRA outside of here unfortunately veterinarian practices are not public employee union and you don't have any kind of pension whatsoever so you have to be mindful that you have to put dollars away for yourself and right. if you're not doing that you're not thinking about that the years are gonna pass and you're gonna look up and say uh oh an interesting little term with 401ks maybe people on this um, podcast have heard it before but the 401k tax law has what's called the catch-up provision meaning that once you hit the age of 50 you can put away instead of just 19,000 a year I think the the rule is this you can put away an extra five grand so 24,000 and the reason for that is literally the IRS wants you to have the option of catching up because so many people don't start really saving for retirement until they hit their 50s and they say oh you know what I can see the finish line now you know, in your 30s, you think you're invincible. Yeah, right. Your 40s, right. you might start thinking about it. But when you hit your 50s, you're like, oh, oh man. <laughs> Here it comes. Here it comes. And if only I had been working harder on this. So I kind of strayed a little bit on this question, I think. But most importantly, if you have the opportunity to work sponsor plan, especially get a match, do it. And if not, you need to open up a Roth IRA. Go to your bank and open up a Roth IRA. Go to E-Trade. Find a financial planner that can help you. Go to my website, davidwillettfinancial.com. I can help you. But in any event, open up a Roth IRA at minimum and just start plugging away in there $100 a month and increase it till it hurts and get to the point where you're putting away 6000 a year, mm-hmm. 7000 a year if you're over age 50. That's mm-hmm. what you got to do. You got to look out for yourself and you got to start putting money away. So let's dive into that a little bit more because I, you've said a few things now that I need some clarification on and I think would be good to, to just dive into. So lots of things that I want to unpack. One is let's talk about a 401k, profit sharing, whatever it is that the, the practices are offering. So let's talk about that a little bit, how they work. Should we be signing up? Should we be telling our teams to sign up for them? Match, no match, vesting, no vesting, all that kind of good stuff. And then you said the Roth IRA and why is that better or worse than, than, than a different one? Isn't there a new law saying that how however many employees now I think it's if you have 25 or more we have to offer yeah yeah right the CalSavers we have to offer 401ks Mm -hmm. and then if we're less than 25 I think we have until next year or something to do that but let's talk about those two things there there's a lot you just threw out so let me let me try to start right (laughs) yes break that down so I, I think one important topic is should should practices offer a 401k or not? And that really comes down to the practice owner, whether or not they see it as a valuable employee benefit because they care and or employee retention vehicle. So my feeling always is that it's just not that expensive to do from a practice standpoint. I think all veterinarian practice owners, if they can swing it, just the extra cost of it, it's not that much. I won't say it on this, but it's not that much. But they should do it because it's such an extra bonus for these employees. I would say more times than not, the employees are not well educated in the financial investing part of life. And so to right. have and a like 401k you said, they're, guy. They're younger. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. To, so they're not doing it yet. To have a 401k representative, someone who's going to be on the plans, the advisor to come in and just meet with them at least once a year, if not two or three times a year to try to enroll them, just do some basic education, talk about numbers. It's valuable for so many reasons. Um, the, the second part of that component is should the employer offer a match? Well, that's extra money that they are able to du- deduct from their P&L, which is nice, but it's extra cost for them. So they have to value or evaluate for themselves what they think the potential value is and the, the value add for their staff in being happy in staff retention, if that makes sense. In most cases, the reason that employers offer a match and they do it by way of a safe harbor plan they do it so that they're offering a match to their employees but that allows them to not fall by the wayside 
with the highly compensated employee rule and it allows their highly compensated veterinarians to max out their 401ks. What that means is that if you haven't heard of this before, there does come discrimination testing is what happens with a 401k every year. And if you only have your highly compensated employees, such as your 100,000 plus employees, your veterinarians and the practice owner contributing and the other, you know, staff technicians, receptionists, lower compensated employees aren't contributing, you don't get to contribute anymore on the top end. They just say tough break. You can't do it because not enough of your staff are taking advantage of the plan. Right. So yeah. um, mm-hmm. you got to you got to be aware of that. I, I think it's really important should, should, that the practice managers sign up because that helps them be knowledgeable of the plan. They can answer questions for the staff if needed. But it's a great example, and of course they're helping themselves. So I, I right. always inc- would encourage yeah. practice managers to be involved in the plan and contributing. Yeah, right, right. There's there's certainly a lot of options, right? There's four hundred one k. There's IRA, simple IRA, like all all these different options. What though, David, is kind of the difference between the pre-tax plans and the post-tax plans, and and what's the thinking be, uh, between the two, right? Like one, you would think of, you know, you see it as a, you know, as a deduction on your paycheck pre-tax, and then you know your paycheck's a little smaller, and then yeah. you typically put it into this account. We never look at it, and then we may roll it over if we leave a job. And then there's this other thing called a Roth, right, or or even a post-tax. 401k where you're getting your gross wages and then whatever deductions and then you get your net and then they take more out like what's the thinking between those two yeah this is a really important question i'm glad you brought it up so let me let me break it down this way you have a traditional ira and a roth ira let me tell you the difference differences between those with a traditional ira if you put away five thousand dollars a year and you made a hundred thousand dollars the government will tax you on ninety five thousand meaning that the five thousand dollars that you put into your traditional IRA or 401k does not get taxed that calendar year. And every year going forward, it'll continue to be not taxed and tax deferred and all of the growth inside of there will be tax deferred and you'll never be taxed on it at all until you take a dollar out. So in this example, hypothetically, let's say over the course of time, you save, save, save three, $400,000 into this IRA or 401k and it becomes worth a million dollars by the time you're over 59 and a half. Then you start taking money out, your taxes mm-hmm. ordinary income. So if you took all million dollars out in that year, you'd be taxed on a million dollars of income. Does that make sense? Right, and yeah. That is a lot. Yeah, well, right, right, right. Yeah. That would be brutal. That's I, a lot of tax money to pay on a million dollars of income. I don't right. recommend you do right. that. This is right. for example. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sure. But right, so right. conversely, the Roth IRA kind of works the opposite, but it has a better benefit. In that example, if you put $5,000 into a Roth IRA and you made $100,000, in that year you're still taxed on $100,000. So there's no tax benefit today. What's going to happen is that Roth IRA is going to grow tax deferred. All the growth is going to grow tax deferred. And as long as you're over 59 and a half and or the money's been in there for five years, all of it in the future will come out tax-free. So that million dollars, if it grows to a million dollars, just like the other example, it's all going to come out tax-free. You could take it all out in one year and it's 100% tax-free. Oh, gotcha. Right. And I remember you telling me that, do you want to pay tax on your money today or do you want to pay tax on your money in, you know, say 20 years from now? Because tax in 20 years from now is going to be a hell of a lot more than tax today. Right. Right. So we would tighten your belt now yes. and mm-hmm. and pay tax on it today, knowing that in the future, when taxes are you know even more than they are today, right. just like twenty years ago, our tax implication was different, right? So twenty years from now, whenever it is you're taking that money mm-hmm. out, you're paying less tax, and you're not paying any yeah. tax in the future because you paid tax from twenty years ago, yes. which is present day. So that's how I think about it, and I love that example of how that helps us understand. Pre-tax is always right, good right. for our paychecks, but sure. yeah, post-tax right, is right. good for our future. Well, it kind of right? speaks to that Dave Ramsey thing you said, too, about kind of being diligent and, and maybe... I love the uh, idea, Andrew, of tightening the belt or, or being really, really um, kind of mindful. So you say, okay, I can... I don't know what the exact rules are, but you know, I can put away you know $1,000 a month in a savings account, or I can put it into this Roth IRA, right, and let it grow. So that, that's a great... you know That's great information, David. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Uh, and you know, one other little snippet on that, if you are evaluating for your practice to add a 401k, I absolutely encourage you to add a Roth component too. So you can have a traditional 401k, but your employees can also have a Roth 401k. And 
oh, I would great. encourage all of your staff to encourage the Roth 401k the unless yeah. they really need tax deduction because they have right. a multiple income home. Right. Yep. So when financial planners come in and do presentations, and I've had several and, and they're fantastic usually and, and talk, they often use some really fun graphs to show that you can put $5 in uh, in an investment account, and it is an account, it is invested, and it goes in the stock market, and it can grow. Like, what? You know, actually, in a way, money yeah. kind of does grow on trees. Now, listening for all of our <laughs> viewers, you know, the stock market has this risk, it's not guaranteed, blah, blah, blah. But let's talk about compounding for a minute, and, and kind of its antithesis, I think, in some ways, like inflation. So I always think of it as, and I want you to explain it, though, like, I think of it like, there's a, there's a if you Google this online, there's a great graph where it kind of shows the price of a cup of coffee over the last 50 years, right? It yeah. used to be two cents, and now it's $6 at Starbucks. And you, you know, you think, well, I'm paying $6 now, you're right, you were paying $6. And yes, you could have paid two cents 50 years ago, but $6 would have been a heck of a lot more money 50 years ago than it is today, right? So uh, sure. I'd love for you to explain that um, a little bit more so that people understand like what this this horrible thing about in, you know inflation is. And then on the antith- uh, and kind of the reverse side is like, what is this idea of I can put $5 in today and it doesn't turn into say five, 10, 15, 20, like five year, $5 every year, it's five, 25, 75, you know, 150, like it gets bigger exponentially. So tell us about those concepts because I think that those are really like super important and underpin a lot of why we should really take your advice today. <laughs> oh, well, hey, cool. So let, let me let me start with uh, the inflation component then. You, you gave a great example of a cup of coffee. Another example is stamps. You know, stamps go up in price. Before COVID, a good example was movie theater. Uh, tickets, gallon of gas, you know, gallon of milk. Every year, they're going to go up. Uh, inflation uh, happens. It happens just about every year. We rarely ever have flat inflation. Inflation is just the concept that every year the price of goods go up, based upon lots of different factors. It's going to happen throughout our life. It always happens, and that's why we need to work on growing our money. Because if we let it sit, it's actually losing purchasing power at the bank. Right now, bank interest rates are nothing, and that's a product of the Fed being so low. A whole nother story. You know, I'd like to use a great chart here. Um, oh, wait, I can't because we're on a podcast. Never mind. Um, <laughs> Darn. Explain it to yeah. us. <laughs> so, you know, th- there's an example that, that I like to give when I give presentations of just the power of compound interest. And I love this. I love this saying. Those that don't understand compound interest are doomed to pay it. And we pay compound Ooh. interest as we generate debt. Hmm. And power the, the power of compound interest, it works both ways. It can work for you or against you. And if you have a credit card, and if you're listening here and you have a credit card, and you have a $10,000 debt, and it's got a, um, a 12% interest rate, that means the interest is going to be $1,200 $1, a month on $10,000, which is $100 a month. So if you're paying $150 on that, only $50 is going towards that debt because the other 100 is that interest that you're paying. Mm-hmm. And for every month that you let that debt sit there, the interest is going to compound on the negative way and it's going to get more and more and more. On the flip side though, I'd like to give this example. If we have a couple, Jim and Betty, let's say, and Jim and Betty are 35 and they decide, you know what, we cannot afford to save right now. And every year goes by, they still say they can't save. And by the time they're 55, they realize, uh-oh, we need to save some money because retirement's close. So for the next 10 years, they put $12,000 a year into Roth IRAs, which is 6000 each, 12000 a year. And they make 8% on average over that time. They will have put in $120,000 total over those 10 years. But then it's worth plus or minus $174,000. And that's the compounding interest. Every year it sits there, it wow. grows. Next year it grows again. Right. But conversely, if Jim and Betty would have put away $12,000 a year from the ages of 35 to 45 and then stopped saving and let it sit for another 20 years making 8%, it would have grown to $810,000. Wow, that is a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, so so that's why anybody yeah. on this, you know, listening, if you're in your 30s, your future self will be so proud and grateful of your 30-year-old self if you start saving now. Because mm-hmm. once you get the ball rolling, it gains steam. And 8% on $10,000 is a lot mm-hmm. less than 8% on $100,000. 
Right. So right. you got to start wow. somewhere, start early. You know, I'm always shocked at the people I run into in their mid-60s that have, you know, a regular job and have saved mm-hmm. over a million dollars in their 401k because they started wow. in their 20s. That's amazing. So what are a couple of mistakes, David, that we make? And I shouldn't, I don't mean mistakes, obviously, in a in a negative way, like you're, you know, you messed up, but just what are some things you know, for people that are super young, what should they do now? And if somebody is in their 50s or 60s listening, what should they do literally in a minute? What are a couple of mistakes that we make when, you know, uh, thinking about financial planning or investing, you know, or, or preparing for that? You know, what give us give us the lowdown. There's one component of a 401k, and, and I really encourage every veterinarian practice owner to, to really give a good thought about getting the 401k up and running in the practice. To reiterate, it doesn't cost that much, and it, it's such a value to your staff. But there is a feature that is called auto-enrollment, where it automatically enrolls the employees. And they can opt out if they want, but that's a great way to just say, congratulations, everyone, you're doing it, at least like 1% or 2%. So I, right, I, th- yeah. I think that's right. a great tool. And then the ones that object, we can you know opt them out. But um, I, th- I think that it rarely is... It rarely is a, a point of contention from staff, I'll tell you that. I think it typically works really well. You know, uh, other mistakes that individuals can make, I absolutely think it's a horrible idea, and for the most part, to go out and buy a brand new $50,000 car if you, if you well, for, for many reasons anyway, but if you don't have your baby steps in place. If you're not at least on baby step four, uh, you know, don't think about, I need that brand new nice car. Go drive a three or four-year-old car. Mm-hmm. Cars depreciate like a massive amount just right, when you drive right, them off the right. lot. Yeah, uh, right, right, right. Another important thing that uh, young people uh, don't necessarily think about doing, especially if they have kids, is just at least having a term life insurance uh, policy in place. Not for the sake of you want somebody to get rich, but term life insurance policies, a lot of them can uh, have what are called accelerated benefit riders if you get uh, ill but you're not uh, passing away you can prorate the death benefit many cases where people have a horrible illness and the other spouse mm-hmm. can't work mm-hmm. and having that money to be there to keep your household afloat um, obviously very important another common mistake that that younger people that I see and and older as well is if you have kids you have a home you have assets not getting a living trust or finding out what it is and putting that in place for yourselves so that's off topic kind of from our conversation here today but if you have any of those things you want to have a living trust and it's not for the wealthy it's a document that has all of your wishes make sure that they get taken care of upon your passing away so that your assets and decisions don't go to a probate court and they take 18 to 24 months to decide what to do with all your stuff including guardianship of your children and then also charge 10 to 15 percent of your net worth to do it so wow yeah all right yeah that's great advice that's great advice just just a couple couple of tidbits but you know i i think um also just want to interject a little bit that veterinarian practices one practice owner that i work with and and her practice manager are terrifically bright and they do this already they're a great example of doing what's what's important for this stuff but i i think two little tidbits for practice managers are you got to make sure that you're monitoring labor close enough. Um, the biggest, the biggest issue today, I think, for veterinarian practice owners is the rising, the rising minimum wage, and what that's doing to your P&L. So I think it's really important to look at that. And the second thing is, you can negotiate really well with your insurance brokers. Just don't let them re-up everything every year. Shop it out and see what you can do for health insurance if you offer it. Other, you know, practice insurance things too to help your your practice owner and look like a rock star for reducing expenses. Fantastic. Those are good ideas. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> David, I have used you as our personal financial planner and I tell you the benefits that my husband and I reap are endless and I could brag on you and your services and how amazing you are forever. But tell me from your perspective of being able to tell people what's a benefit of having a personal financial planner, but then also a business financial planner. So should we make sure that our practices are covered with the business financial planner, whether that be our practice owner has a financial planner and an end game or, you know, living trust or that type of things like what happens to the practice should something horrible practice happen to our practice owners or just looking at expenses like you're talking about trying to reduce um, expenses on the PL report or what some of the things a manager should be doing, you know, decreasing expenses. Do we need to have a financial planner for our practices? 
and and is there a benefit there as well as should we have one for ourselves and, and what are some of the benefits there you ask very good jam-packed questions andrea yes unpack it all <laughs> let's hear it okay so let, let me just start with i think the the practice owner having a personal financial planner and a business financial planner they really are one and the same because your personal net worth is tied not only to your accumulated savings but also your net worth and equity inside of your practice and for some practice owners they actually um, own the building that their practice is in uh, and you know set up a, a different limited liability corporation to own that so having and if you haven't done that having someone to guide you through that and help you and bounce off ideas off of is invaluable because most veterinarian practices uh, that I've talked to, the owner, they're very bright with what they do and they love animals, they love their staff, but they don't know this stuff that well. They have ambitious goals, but having someone to rely on when it comes to making a big decision and talking about the pros and cons of it, it can be really important in their personal wealth. Because in addition to owning a veterinarian practice and practicing as a veterinary medicine, you're also in it because you wanna grow your wealth. And the practice manager, like my good friend Leslie, uh, you know, down in uh, Huntington Beach, California, you know, Leslie Boudreaux, yes, yeah, she's amazing. Yes, she's she's pretty wonderful, and she does an amazing job for that for the veterinary yes, practice uh, owner there, who's a wonderful person and personal friend of mine too. She is invaluable, and in having the court, we have meetings together. Uh, we've had a few meetings together, just talking strategy. So very valuable for um, for them and, and for their personal growth there with the practice. Um, one interesting thing about uh, what I do for a living and how I help people, there there's the onboarding process and then there's the, the relationship maintenance, if you will. And the onboarding process is when we sit down and take stock of everything, what your, your personal financial life looks like today. But then over time, things change. You know, a year from now, three years from now, new jobs, somebody passed away, an inheritance, an, an expense challenge. And what I tell people who are considering being a do-it-yourself investor rather than having a financial advisor compensated for helping them, the question is, do you want to be doing it all on your own or do you want to pay for a financial advisor who's going to know everything about you? And when you have something pop up that's an emergency and you ask them, they'll be answering the question for you knowing everything about your personal financial life already. That's a real value add for having a financial advisor that's a good one and actually cares about you. That's a big thing. But someone who knows every aspect of your finances, what your home was when you paid for it, what it's worth now, what savings do you have, what your tax situation looks like, what your goals are for the future. And then you have a potential job change and want to evaluate things. Somebody who knows everything inside and out is going to be immensely valuable for an individual or for a practice owner or for a practice manager for that for that matter. Sorry, I think that's a little long-winded, but yeah, there you go. No, it's great. It's exactly what I was looking for as far as, yeah, just understanding some of the benefits. I mean, I've, I've talked a little bit about having you as our personal financial planner and our marriage and, and the benefits and, and a lot of my girlfriends have utilized your services as well. And we do talk about how important and integrated you are into our life and how we make those types of decisions. And so, yeah, I, I think that's great. But I also want to say like an example that you use with Dr. Karan, who I absolutely love. Hello, Michelle, you're amazing, is wrapping that up into your business as well and how important it is for practice owners to utilize a financial planner for them. So managers making sure that we tell our practice owners like, hey, get get one if you don't have one and integrate this into your business because it's so important. And then also is making sure that as managers, we don't have ownership of our practice. So we need to be managing what's ours and under our umbrella and how we can utilize you to help us partner with us through some of those life-changing experiences and, and different things. So well yeah, said. thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. David, you've given us a lot of advice and you've given us some great gems and some takeaways. If you could give one piece of advice, just one, maybe to your younger self or to something that you know would be relevant to our practice managers or even practice owners listening, can you give us one piece of advice? And if so, like what would it be and why that? Well, that's simple. Cash is king. And when I, what I mean yes, by that- Yes, your favorite saying. I love it when you say what that. I, what I mean is you gotta get to six months of expenses at the bank. And that's baby step three. 
but when you get there you will have gotten there by way of paying off all of your unsecured debt except for maybe your car student loans and you have a mortgage but when you get to six months of expenses at the bank what that means is now we can start doing fun things we can start really over for funding our retirement plans more we can afford to buy a few extra things if we want to because we're not using that that excess on a monthly basis on putting it in the bank we've accomplished mm -hmm. that goal right so as soon as you can get yeah. to six months life change six months of expenses at the bank life changes in a really positive way so the the quicker you can do that work on that goal get your stuff paid off you will have a, a new renewal of optimism in your life if you can accomplish that although you are a financial planner and you don't necessarily work in the veterinary space completely or have um, some of the outrageous things happen to you in the veterinary world i am absolutely positive that you have had a life experience a, an encounter if you will with either a client or a coworker or with i mean maybe in the veterinary space you've worked with a practice owner or a manager uh, some way, somehow, whatever it may be that in the moment you just have like this chin hit the ground, your eyes pop out like pugs, your palm hits the forehead and you say like, no way, shut the front door, this just happened. <laughs> a story that you seriously, you cannot make us this up, right? Like, can you share your story with us that just made you go, wow? You know, this is an interesting question. Um, I, I probably have had a few things, but you know, as we, as we discussed things before, I have something that's not business related, but it's something I know I'll never see again in my lifetime, and it involves a Dodger game. So not, I'm not answering exactly probably how you thought, but I was at a Dodger game like 20 years ago, and a guy hit a grand slam for the Cardinals against the Dodgers. And for any baseball fans, that means you just had four runs in one inning. That's a, that's a big inning. But then the guy came up again in the same inning and hit a second grand slam in the inning. And... It's. Ne I looked it up after the game. Wow, has that ever happened before? It's never happened before, and it's never happened again. Oh my goodness, that's cool. So huh. I was actually right. I was at the game up at up in L.A. and and you were there to experience. I that. was, and when he hit the second grand slam, I looked over my buddies. I'm like, I, that's wow. Never, I, there's no way no that's way. ever happened again. Awesome. So right. His name was uh, Fernando Tatis, and his son's on the Padres now. He's a superstar. So um, oh, very cool. Nice. Very cool. Sorry, I don't. I don't have any. Pretty much everyone I, yep. I work with has That's been good. wonderful, yeah. so I don't have any awesome. jaw droppers. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. At this part in the show, we go into the rapid fire, the boom, boom. So do you need to prepare it all or are you ready to go? I'm ready. Let's roll. Okay. So David, tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. That's a pretty easy one. With the company I was with prior to becoming a financial planner, I had an opportunity at one time to negotiate for myself, and I didn't negotiate well enough in terms of stock options, and it came back to bite me later when the company came into more money, and they didn't use those stock options for people like me. They used it to lure in high-priced talent outside of the people who were there. So for practice managers on this call, stand up for yourself, negotiate as best you can because nobody's going to take care of you better than you. Tell me about your proudest moment. You know, I have a few wonderful thoughts. You know, recently I had a proud moment where my 10-year-old who has been playing competitive soccer, you know, been up and down, but she's really blossomed lately into a terrific defender and she just had a, a game over the last weekend where all the other parents were just so complimentary of her and and I was grinning ear to ear thinking, that's my kid. That's pretty exciting, man. You said you worked with veterinarians or have worked with some veterinary practices. Why do, you, uh, why do you work with us in the veterinary industry? What do you love about our profession? I love dogs. So first of all, I love dogs. I got my teddy. I love dogs my whole life. Um, interesting that the veterinarian connection was an accidental connection by, by way of your co-host. 
Um, and uh, I, That's me. I uh, decided, hey, I'll, I'll start, you know, sponsoring their group. And, and, you know, it's a good opportunity. And it's become a wonderful niche of mine. I love the people that I've gotten to know and help. And it's so obvious in everything that they do. I haven't met anybody who's not passionate about their animals and their practice and what they do and, and helping their staff. And I've grown to be really inspired by a lot of the people that um, I've gotten to know and help in this industry. And of course, I love dogs. Self-care is a really important concept that we're struggling with in our profession. How do you practice self-care? How do you decompress? I need to do better with this personally. We've been through a pretty overwhelming spring here on our end with sports and all sorts of stuff. I definitely need to do better. But you know, one thing that I do is I'm a math nerd and it helps me to sit down and just for five to 10 minutes play Sudoku on my phone. And it's like a timed game, but um, it always, I always just find like if I play Sudoku for five to 10 minutes, I'm, I'm kind of calmer and I've kind of forgotten what stressed me out. How do you balance work and life and do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I do my best to try to be there for my girls and my wife. And I had a wise friend about five years ago when I was complaining about the kids taking up too much time and events on the weekend. His daughter was grown. He said, hey man, these are the good times. My daughter won't even call me back now. So I do my best to try to enjoy the times and not feel tired with my kids because every day they get older, they're never going to be that same age they were the day before. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or things that cause you anxiety in your firm or your business? This is an interesting one. This is the truth. What keeps me up at night is the U.S. national debt, the potential for runaway inflation and what that's going to do for our economy. And I know it's 30-second answers, but the U.S. national debt right now is at $29 trillion, and it's grown from $10 trillion to $29 trillion only in 11 years. And we all have to be asking ourselves, at what point does our country get to in national debt terms that the rest of the world says, we're not going to buy any more of your debt. We're not going to let you loan out any more money. And then we have to have a a balanced budget as a nation. And right now we're passing annual budgets that are a trillion dollar deficit and nobody's questioning it. So at some point, if the rest of the world says, "Uh uh-uh, you're done, U.S., then all of a sudden we have to have a balanced budget. That means a trillion dollars of spending has to come off of the U.S. budget, and that's going to have shockwave effects. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? What really drives me is just my family and our goals for the future. I love my, my clients and, and, and them, and, and part of our goals for the future are making sure I take great care of my clients and I bring on new clients, too. I'm pretty gosh darn blessed to have a beautiful, lovely wife and two wonderful girls, and that's about all anybody could ask for and hope for. So I just want to keep making positive steps in life, and I think we're doing that right now. So. Awesome, awesome. David, thank you so much. Thank you, David. It was a this was pleasure. great. Oh, yeah, that's it. We're done. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we're done. <laughs> this is the goodbye. So okay, perfect. It's a wrap. <laughs> Thanks again. Have a great weekend. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. Bye. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. Social media management and website design by Dog Days Consultant. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrew Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. 
Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.